Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is October 24th. We're going to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo signing his contract extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. The short-term, long-term impact of all of this. We're also going to talk about the Green Bay Packers and lessons learned from their loss in Denver. We'll also mention the first look at the Minnesota Vikings since we got to watch them stun the San Francisco 49ers on Monday night. And then we'll talk about Marquette and their preseason hype growing uh, at Big East Media Day. All of that and much more. Uh, make sure that you are checking us out on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, Tapping the Cake Sports on Instagram as well as TikTok and Facebook. As a note on Twitter slash X, we are 10 away from 900. Uh, would really be great to uh, get that up. Uh, would appreciate that. I, I've I've thought long and hard about running some contests. I have told you guys it didn't pass. Like I have a ton of memorabilia. I have too much memorabilia. Uh, so at some point, we'll have some contests where you like and follow and the whole thing. Uh, but I have to actually like build out my basement, which it's been over a year since I've had my house. Look, man, I don't know. If you guys own a house, you know uh, that sometimes that stuff just takes a lot longer than you expect it to. Uh, also, uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the pod. Uh, Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, we are there. Uh, if we're not, let me know. Uh, I can make sure to get us there. Uh, if you already are subscribed, you're already doing the social media, you know what to do. Drop it in the group chat. Uh, talk to people about the good word of tapping the keg. Uh, you want to hear local opinions on Giannis. You want to hear local opinions on the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I am here for you. I will make a case that a lot of local uh, podcasts slash uh, radio hosts don't exactly have the the knowledge on the Antetokounmpo stuff. Maybe not the knowledge, that's mean. But I don't know. I, I think that there's a, a, a different perspective that I bring to the table, and I hope you guys enjoy that. So not not necessarily rip it on. I didn't want to. I didn't want to put put the gauntlet down. But I, I just you know I, I'm confident in myself, and I, I think that more y'all should be be checking this out. All right, let's talk about Alessandro Kubo signing the long term extension. It was about five. 30 maybe a little less than that 515 and Giannis Antetokounmpo announced on his Twitter feed that he is signing the long-term extension with the Milwaukee Bucks it was a picture of him winning the championship holding the MVP trophy as well as the finals trophy with all caps Milwaukee and then Bucks and six hashtag hashtag extended and Giannis Antetokounmpo broke his own story that he got a contract extension now, Antetokounmpo did this without Shams Sharania or Adrian Wojnarowski breaking that story. Do you know how rare that is in the NBA world? But Antetokounmpo announced it. Woj would then quote tweet it, saying that Giannis has signed a three-year, $186 million extension with the Milwaukee Bucks, beating the deadline of midnight. Now, had Giannis not signed that extension, everybody today would be talking about Giannis not signing the extension. The national media would be going crazy. National media would be putting Giannis in New York, in Chicago, and in Miami. And yet again, the, na the national media fell for the banana in the tailpipe. Giannis Antetokounmpo had never really planned to leave Milwaukee. It was never a doubt that Giannis was going to sign this contract extension. I think when we talked about you know, the craziness this summer, 
I don't think any of us really wavered, right? Uh, I didn't waver. I didn't think Mitch wavered. I think we all were kind of rowing in the same boat saying like, hey, we think that Giannis is going to be here long term. He's saying things that he said in the past. People would claim, oh, it's different. Oh, it's 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 different this time around. It really, really hasn't changed. And now Antetokounmpo is a Milwaukee Buck for life. I mean, he is going to be here now for the next three plus years. Uh, he has a chance to have a player option in 2027, uh, which goes alongside with Damian Lillard's contract ending. Uh, but Giannis Antetokounmpo could also sign another deal that would be a two-year extension. And then he has an over 38 deal that could make him a lot of money for four extra years. Imagine Giannis Antetokounmpo playing at 42 seems a little aggressive. I'll be honest. I, I don't exactly see Antetokounmpo playing for that long, but you never know. And he, he at least has opened that door now to play for a long time with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I don't think that there is another team that Antetokounmpo is looking at. I don't think Antetokounmpo plans to leave. I think if you know things go off the rails, sure, that, that can be on the table. But it seems like Giannis is making a commitment to be a Milwaukee Buck for a very long time. And it, I'm not, again, like, the re, and the reason why I'm not exactly surprised here is because we've seen this with international players time and again, where they just do not leave. And they have, they have a commitment to a place that brought them to the NBA, and they seem to stick to it, whether it's Hakeem Olajuwon, whether it's Dirk Nowitzki, whether it's Tim Duncan, Tony Parker until the very, very end, right? Manu Ginobili, same thing. Like, these guys don't exactly leave. The only guy that left his situation was Paul Gasol, and he got traded. And I think Powell did one out, but remember, that Memphis situation was not great. That was an untenable situation. Memphis at that time was not a very good basketball team. And so Paul won it out, and, and sure enough, he gets, you know, goes to the Lakers and he wins championships. And probably people consider Paul Gasol more a Laker than they do a Memphis uh, member of the Memphis Grizzlies. But Giannis Antetokounmpo never really was like, all right, yeah, I need to get out of here. I need to, you know, sort of quote unquote spread my wings and try something else. And I, I think that people who were paying attention understood that Giannis was building a lifelong legacy and that Giannis was ignoring sort of the noise around him. And, and he talked about, well, I, I'd make so much more money next year. And the Bucks did a really good job of presenting Giannis with a contract that basically allows him to make even more money as it goes on. And so Antetokounmpo decided to not be a distraction around his team. And that basically has this this commitment now to Milwaukee for the next three years and that we're all pretty much in this together. And Giannis Antetokounmpo is officially the king of Milwaukee and the king of Wisconsin. We talked to him kind of about the transition of Antetokounmpo from Aaron Rodgers back in 2021, right? When Antetokounmpo wins the title and Rodgers at that point had had all the drama around him. You know, it was kind of a crazy stretch of Wisconsin sports back in July of 2021. So you have the Bucks winning the title and the Bucks becoming the NBA champions for the first time since 1970. They have the one, excuse me. And then Aaron Rodgers at the same time is throwing a complete bitch fit about like not wanting to be on the Green Bay Packers, calling out the organization, calling out, you know, basically how they've built this team and just lighting the 
world on fire and also having all the things around COVID and everything else. And that's what kind of started this ascent for Giannis as the king of the city. And, the, and not only the king of the city, the king of the state. Because there's no one more popular than Giannis Antetokounmpo. And it's hard to think of anybody that even is in his stratosphere in the state of Wisconsin right now. There, it, there isn't. He's one of one. He, you know, there is no one that's even close. Like, I think there's a lot of love for Jordan Love, no pun intended, but I don't think Jordan Love is anywhere close to Antetokounmpo. I don't think Christian Watson's anywhere close to Antetokounmpo. I don't think Sal Freelich or Garrett Mitchell or Christian Yelich, for that matter, like, I, Corbin Burns, like, uh, Devin Williams, like, I don't think any of those guys come close to Antetokounmpo's hierarchy in the state of Wisconsin. And this only furthers it. This only means that more people are going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo fans. This, Honestly, I, I think that this is a, you know, a big win for those who are maybe aren't entirely big Bucks fans. Like with how the Packers are struggling, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with Mitch about the the Milwaukee Bucks having the ability to take the belt from the Green Bay Packers in Wisconsin sports, this only furthers it because there's no drama around this team. There's no noise. This team just wants to play fucking ball. And I, I think that a lot of people will like that. And a lot of people will be like, all right, Bucks are playing on Thursday. It's on TNT. Everybody can watch it. It's not on Bally. Like, you have your first look at this Milwaukee Bucks team, and everybody's able to watch the game. And I, and on top of Antetokounmpo State here long term, the Damian Lillard stuff, like, it's just, it's so, so big for Giannis, the city, everybody else, and him becoming a buck for life is just, it's something that I think we always knew was on the table. Now that it's finally here, it's just, it's so great. It's so lovely. And I, I mean, there's more like things here as you get down into kind of the nitty gritty of the Milwaukee Bucks. First of all, you know, the Dave and Giannis are the only Bucks that are on the contract table for 2026 and 2027. That's significant, right? The Milwaukee Bucks can make some serious moves. The Milwaukee Bucks could say, all right, Chris Middleton, it's been real, it's been fun, but you know, you're kind of washed up. Brooke Lopez, I would assume, would retire, but maybe not. Um, and you could basically restart this with David Giannis, and you could find the next young talent. The le less money right now opens the door for more sort of deals in the future. Uh, by the way, which national media didn't cover at all. Some Bucks fans found, you know, kind of mentioned this yesterday. Bam Adebayo did not sign his contract extension, uh, which is very interesting. And he also had the same deadline as Giannis. And he would become a free agent. Giannis and Bam have the same agent, by the way. Uh, so just food for thought, right? Bam Adebayo and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Imagine Bam as, as the Brook Lopez role. Uh, how the fuck did you, would you score, Right. And the, the door is now open for the Bucks to do some legendary shit. And I think guys are going to continue to want to play for Giannis. I don't think that the the Milwaukee thing is completely dead when it comes to Antetokounmpo because he's the best player in basketball. And that trumps the fact that it's going to be really fucking cold in, from November to, well, sometimes March, right? So I, I think that that trumps it all. Um, and the fact that also it allows for more money in the future for Antetokounmpo. The, we kind of mentioned that already, but like there, it's a real sort of, 
there are multiple extensions set up. And it'll be the same noise when he has the player option in 2027. And they'll be like, oh, is he going to opt out? Is he not going to you know, be a buck and, and all this other stuff? And it'll be the same bullshit three years from now. And everybody will still be yearning that maybe Atsunakubo will, will leave this team. But man, oh man, this is all sort of just coming up bucks and a great way to start the season and a great thing for... Wisconsin sports fans in general, just considering the fact that it has been such a shit show with the Green Bay Packers, the Brewers had the tough postseason exit, and we all needed it, right? Let's do some quick winners and losers from this just to add on to the Antetokounmpo celebration, if you will. Uh, winners from the extension, City of Milwaukee, duh. Like, of course, right? Like, this is a huge win for the city. Uh, the Pfizer Forum, the Bucks, everything else, like they are just set up for extreme success here in the next three or four years. And again, with the Packers struggling right now, they really have this unique opportunity to become the team of Wisconsin, which has really never been said about the, the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think especially in the last, you know, 30 years, right? With Favre, with Rodgers. Like, this is now the time that the Milwaukee Bucks can be that team of not only the city of Milwaukee, but the state of Wisconsin. John Horst, clear, clear win. Like, John Horst, what a fucking offseason. I mean, he gets Damian Lillard. He gets Giannis to sign an extension. He has team-friendly deals with Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, allowing the Bucks to basically have their expirings for the following next year. He has basically developed a plan to have success not only for this year, but years in the future. It's all been done in silence. It's, it's been done in a way that no one knows what's going on. He's an absolute psycho. If you read the Sam Amick piece about how they got Damian Lillard and how Horst was, I think they had it noted like he didn't work from like 7 to 2 a.m. basically. And they were working around the clock and he'd stay in the office late in case Joe Cronin, the Blazers GM, wanted to talk to him late night, uh, given the fact that they're on Pacific Coast time. Like Horst is an absolute animal. And he is as good of a GM as we've seen not only in the NBA, but in the state of Wisconsin, right? It's definitely in a horse we trust. He has ascended to a new spot, I think, in terms of front office lore in the state of Wisconsin. You know, it's, we saw it with Ted Thompson. We saw it with David Stearns for a little bit. I think Stearns lost his luster as he kind of got whimsical about the New York Mets. And, and I expect Stearns to be well with the Mets. Like, I, I think he'll do a really good job. I just think it'll be an interesting sort of change for the Brewer, the former Brewers GM. And then we have, and I mentioned Ted, Ron Wolf, another guy who's definitely deserves a mention, but the Bucks have came a long way from the Ernie Grunfeld days, right? And even John Hammond, you know, had some good things, obviously drafted Giannis, but he stepped on his dick too. John Horst hasn't made many mistakes. And when John Horst has made a mistake, like a DJ Augustine deal, remember, we all were like, why, did, why are you saying DJ Augustine to a three-year, $21 million deal? Got out of it immediately, traded him for PJ Tucker, was like, all right, yeah, I fucked up. I, I messed up on that one. And so I think John Horst, you know, does a really good job of knowing the team. And I actually think they're going to be more connected with the needs and the wants of the team because I think there's a better relationship with Adrian Griffin and, and Horst. Now, I know nothing in that regard. Like, I don't have any intel inside on that. I just think Horst and Bud were 
you know, they, they weren't exactly always on the same page. I, I would love to like have a few drinks with John Horace and be like, did you want to keep PJ Tucker? And Mike Boonholzer told you no. Like what what was the, the PJ Tucker story? Like that that's the one like I think you'd know that like you'd know, okay, if Mike was like, Yeah, I can't I don't like, you know, how PJ Tucker talks to me and PJ Tucker and I would not get along and you know, I won a championship and Mike at I think Mike had a little bit of a, a front office role, if I'm not mistaken, or had a little bit of a, you know, final say sort of thing in terms of the the roster construction. And so now that John Horst has got, you know, the ability to cook and it's a young coach with Adrian Griffin. I think that they are just working more in tandem. Adrian Griffin, definitely another big winner here, right? You start the your coaching career and you know that you have Giannis and Dame for three years. And yeah, there's a lot more pressure, right? There's a pressure to win. There's a pressure to succeed. But it also, there isn't this pressure that if you fuck up this year, it's going to be, it's your fault that Giannis Antetokounmpo left. Because that, and I, which I would hate for Adrian Griffin, but I'm, I'm sorry, like that's how it would be painted. And so now you you have that. And Damian Lillard, another huge winner. I think this is Giannis's way of saying, all right, we're in this together, buddy. And we're going to win multiple championships and we're going to do this thing. And you're in it, I'm in it. Uh, I know Lillard has a player option that he could opt out of if he wanted to. Uh, he, I think he would make less money. And it would just be simply if he wanted to go play in Miami or want to go play in New York or he didn't really like his Milwaukee experience, then yes, that would be on the table for him to leave after this year. But still, even if Dave Lillard were to do that, the Bucks would find somebody else. And I, I, it would be a it would be pretty diabolical by Lillard, just all things considered here now. But you never know. Um, NBA is weird, right? That shit can happen, and I, I hope it doesn't. But Dame Lillard should definitely feel good about the fact that Giannis and him are building something now for the long term and not just the short term. In terms of losers, the national media man, come take these L's. I've not seen the reaction yet from uh, Stephen A. Smith from. Brian Windhorst from Bill Simmons from Zach Lowe but my goodness you guys look like complete clowns um, I love Bill Simmons I, I've said I you know he's he's the reason why I, I do a lot of this stuff and but respectfully Bill just was not on this one and he listened to Mark Lazary far too much um, and it's clear that Lazary had a line of communication with Bill I think they might have done a podcast together and Bill's like, oh, weird stuff in Milwaukee. Oh, Mark, there's a reason Mark Lazary left. He thinks Giannis is out. And he kept mentioning, oh, Giannis to the Knicks. Uh, he mentioned to Ariel Helani, who's a Knicks fan, last last Friday. And then said on yesterday's pod, oh, weird stuff's happening in Milwaukee. It's like, no, dude, like, you just missed this one. Like, John Horace, there are no leaks. There are nothing. That place is fucking sealed. That is like... Uh, what's the flex seal? The Billy Mays? Like, that's what the Milwaukee Bucks are right now. You do not have sources. And so don't Brian Winhorse. And so doesn't Adrian Wojnarowski. Like, they they don't know what's going on in Milwaukee. And I think it frustrates the living fuck out of more like guys like Winhorse and Woj. But, like, I, I and we'll see what he says on his podcast on Wednesday with Simmons, that is. Like, he has to admit he was wrong on it. And, he, and I hope he does. He probably won't, right? He'll spin it and be like, well, you know, like, and he'll kind of back-end compliment, like, yeah, I guess, you know, I missed this one. But, it, I mean, this is, this is setting the Bucks up for success. 
and the national media has to down talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. They can't just keep saying, oh, Giannis this, Giannis that. Like, no, you got to talk about this team. And maybe they'll ignore them. Maybe they'll just ignore what's going on. But I don't know. I think the Bucks are going to make it hard to ignore. And I, I think they're going to have to talk about this team. So we'll see. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, I'll, I'll actually, you know what they'll do? They'll probably be like, is Damian Lillard really the Batman of this team? That will be great. Can't wait for that. Also, the Lazarus. Take another L for them. I mean, we talked about them leaving. You know, there were rumors that they they kind of went bankrupt on crypto. Um, Mitch has told me, that was a rumor for Mitch, but uh, Mitch has also told me like, hey, don't repeat that. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I'm going, the one thing I heard, like, yeah, that we're going to say that. But the Lazarus leave this team and they, all, they didn't really want to pay the money for luxury tax. They were the ones that were holding everything back. You get Jimmy Haslam in. And all of a sudden, it is a cash flow for this team. And on top of that, the fact is, is that the Lazarys were the leakers. Alex Lazary blew up that Bogdan Bodanovich trade. Like, know that, believe that, trust that. And the fact that they are now gone, nothing gets out. And it is a beautiful thing. So, yeah, I uh, I really just, I, I think that the Lazarys, I, I would love to know, you know, at the poker table for Mark, what he's saying right now, because I can't imagine he feels very good about, you know, bailing on this basketball team. But maybe, maybe he does. Maybe he just wasn't cut out to be an NBA owner. I think there would be some, and I, I will say this gently because I like Mark Ananasio, but I do think there'd be some that said, Mark Ananasio should follow the path of Lazarus because he's not built for it. I will also add a caveat. If Mark Laz if Ananasio sells the Brewers, Brewers are no longer here. So just everybody, everybody understand that. Just like, uh, I will, I will say that, but just, you know, I, I think there will be some people that make that correlation. Uh, but yeah, happy to have Antetokounmpo here for a very long time. All right, let's, let's change and talk about the uh, Green Bay Packers and maybe less, less happiness. Uh, you know, we were, we've been happy for too long. Let's, uh, let's get sad and learn, learn some lessons from the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers, as you all know, lost to the Denver Broncos. It was not pretty. Uh, Packers did their thing where they tried to come back late, losing 19-17. to Matt LaFleur, you know, talked about having confidence in Jordan, talked about all the stuff needing to get cleaned up, yada, yada. But I, I feel like there are always lessons from every game. And we've done this, I think, after most every Packer game. And just want to work through what, are, what were those lessons. And I think, number one, it's the fact the Packers do not have any easy games on their schedule. And what I mean by that is Packers aren't a very good team, right? They're, at this point, they are average at best, if not below average. So every game is a challenge. Everyone will be a fight. You cannot assume that the Packers are going to win any football games, right? And I, and I know that sounds maybe dire. That sounds like doom and gloom for me, but it, it's not in the sense that it's just who we are right now. We're, we're just a middling football team. So we can't just say, oh yeah, we're going to go in and we're going to win. We're going to win these games and we're going to be successful. Like, no, like it, it is going to be an uphill climb every night out. So I do think there are a lot of winnable games still on the schedule. Like, I'm not wavered from the fact that I think the Packers could still find their way to win 10 games. I think it's probably more likely if their Packers are going to have a successful year, it's going to be 9-8. and eight Because it, at this point, you're, you know, you, you don't have a ton of room for error 
And maybe there will be a turning point where we look at it and we say, all right, yeah, the Minnesota game, for example, which very well could be, which is very, it's very interesting. And I want to talk about, I'll talk about the Vikings in the end, but I will add at this point, it's very interesting that the Vikings is a must-win game and last Monday or yesterday was a must-win game for the Vikings. Now it's a must-win game for the Packers to keep pace. And it's just, it's kind of funny how that, how that all works and how it all comes together. But yeah, Green Bay does not have any easy games. I say none of them. Carolina, you can't say is an easy game. You can't. I it, you, really Carolina is the one that's like looks the easiest. Tampa at home in the middle middle of December also looks pretty easy. Um, just considering Tampa doesn't seem to be as good as maybe I think some of us, including myself, thought. The Giants, I think you'd say, is quote unquote easy. That's that, and that's a stretch of games. They had to play the Giants, Tampa, and Carolina all in a row. But that that's not that shouldn't even be looked at as an easy stretch because again everything's a challenge for this Packers team and we have to kind of act like that. The Packers need to fix their offensive line in order to succeed. Do you know that Zach Tom is the only offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers that has an above sixty grade on Pro Football Focus, and sixty's average. Okay, like the Packers' offensive line is a complete clusterfuck and. I don't want this to be a Packers thing where they're just going to wait until it, it just completely falls apart and be like, oh, I guess we got to fix our offensive line now. Like, if they roll out the exact same offensive line on Sunday, I will tell, I will say at that point, that team is not serious. That is an unserious football team if they roll out the exact same offensive line. Daniil Hunter's having a great year off the edge. He's going to make it hard on a guy like Rasheed Walker. And they're going to blitz. And the, the Vikings can do a lot of similar things that we saw the Detroit Lions do. And I need the Green Bay Packers to change their offensive line. I need Sean Ryan to get a chance out there. I need to see maybe Josh Nyman and need to see Zach Tom move over to left tackle. It is time for Green Bay to try something else at the offensive line because this is not working and you're not going to know until you try, okay? Like, we're just going to keep wondering, all right, what does this combination look like? And look, the next combination could suck too. The next combination could be bad and we could have the exact same conversation and we're like, well, that one sucks. And then maybe Green Bay has to look long and hard about how they're evaluating offensive linemen because the new it, because football has changed, right? And the Packers have had a great track record on getting offensive linemen, but maybe, you know, they have, something's fallen through the cracks and maybe they need to kind of reshape and refigure what they're doing at offensive line. I don't know. But you can't have the same mediocre offensive line. This is the first time in a long time that I can remember Green Bay having a bad offensive line. I'd have to look back. I mean, I'm sure there was a there were a couple years where they had injuries. I forget. There's one year where I think they lost Clifton, and they also lost. Maybe it was a year they lost Clifton and Tauscher. I think that might have been Favre, and they were just absolutely under assault the entire year. It might have been Roger. I don't. I don't really remember. I'd have to go back and look. But there were obviously bad years with the offensive line, um, and but it's been a while since it's it's looked this bad. Uh, Packers need to have some confidence in themselves, and it starts with the head coach. Uh, I said this yesterday, but it bears repeating. 
uh, that this Packer team like has to exude confidence. They have to, you know, come in with some hot piss, as Matt Lafleur would like to say. Like they need to act like the bullies, right? Like if the Packers get an uh, unsportsmanlike conduct in the first quarter against Minnesota, I'm I'm here for it, right? I'm here for just bumping somebody and kind of starting a little bit of a fracas and getting yourself sort of fired up. They have no sort of juice right now. This team has lacked juice for the last couple of weeks. And I don't know if, is that just not having Jair out there? Is that just the fact that they, you know, Jordan Love doesn't exactly exude that juice? Is it the wide receivers? Is it Aaron Jones? Like the Packers need to find that confidence. And I think because Matt LaFleur is not confident in his football team, even though what he says, I, his play calling does not show that, right? His play calling shows a guy who is trying to basically figure out how do I make it work with Jordan Love? How do I protect Jordan Love? And it's not working. And I, I don't agree that Matt LaFleur should give up offensive play calling. I just don't know who you give that to. But I, I, I do think that LaFleur needs to re-examine how he's approaching Jordan Love and how he's sort of doing that. And I will I guess the only thing on the play calling thing is if they really feel like LaFleur is, you know, too focused on what the defense is doing, what other people are doing, and, and play calling has become almost a distraction, then yeah, you gotta, you know, be sort of the head guy and you gotta then be more the CEO than an actual coach. And if that's what's needed for this Packers team, then maybe it is. And maybe that's, you know, part of it. But I don't also see LaFleur from an ego perspective giving that up. So I don't know. Uh, I can see both ways, but I'm not, I'm not exactly there yet. He just needs to be more confident. He needs to show a little more fire. He needs to show that it's not, he doesn't look like his asshole is so wound tight that it, he would shit out a diamond. Like there needs to be more for Matt LaFleur. Last lesson, uh, the Packers could easily be five and one. The Packers could be one and five. Uh, I, I know that sounds crazy, but think about this. Packers got blown out in one game, Detroit. That's a, that is a clear bona fide L. But other than that, and then they had one bona fide win against the Chicago Bears. But then you look at the rest of the games and they're all between the margins. Fourth quarter goes better in Atlanta, that's a win. If the, if the, the fourth quarter comeback doesn't happen against the Saints, that's a loss. If the Raiders game, you know, if they get a couple more stops here and there, they beat the, they beat the Raiders. If Andrews Carlson makes the field goal against the Broncos, they win that game. So I think you look at this and you say, okay, they, they're, they are definitely a team between the margins. Now, there are, there are games that we said no games are easy, but there are winnable games on the schedule for sure. The Green Bay Packers can still find their way to the playoffs. The NFC is not very good, especially at the bottom. There is a path for the Packers to get there. But it starts with Minnesota. You have to beat Minnesota. Minnesota's a team you are going to compete with with that last spot. And Minnesota's starting, starting to gain momentum. And I, I do think a lot of people are going to pick against the Packers. I don't know if the line moved at all between the Packers and Vikings. I'd assume it would after what the Vikings did against the San Francisco 49ers. 
But yeah, it, it's definitely a must win for Green Bay. And it is basically put your balls on the table, go all out and win this fucking football game. If you get the three and four, you have a chance for four and four at home against the Rams team who doesn't like to play here, is bad that they're playing in November. And by the way, it's going to get cold next week. So ha- happy, uh, happy Green Bay experience again for the Rams who continue to deal with cold weather games. But yeah. I think that this is a huge, huge opportunity for Green Bay, and I am taking it a must-win. Before we move on to Marquette, let's talk a little bit about Minnesota and just what we saw from the Vikings last night against San Francisco 49ers. A very surprising win for the Vikings. I did not see that one coming. Um, you know, I think Bill Simmons bringing him back and mentioned, you know, kind of that Cleveland game sort of affected both teams, right? Uh, The Niners and the Browns both sort of seemed lackadaisical, seemed like they needed a week off from just an absolute war of a football game. And the, you know, the, the Niners not having Trent Williams, not having Debo Samuel really affected their team. And this has been sort of the MO with the Niners all season is what, or all throughout the Shanahan era is when they're healthy, they look like a juggernaut. And when they're not, they don't necessarily have the depth to exactly make up for those injuries. But also, I don't know who who succeeds without having their star left tackle and their star wide receiver. But the Kirk Cousins, Jordan Addison connection got rolling. Uh, Addison, you know, was a first round pick out of USC. You know, he's being wide receiver one as Justin Jefferson is out and Addison lit up the Niners secondary. And Traverius Ward did not have any answers for Jordan Addison on the outside. Addison, you know, took him to task really from start to finish. And primetime Kurt has been a issue for a long time. It was not an issue in this game. After he threw that interception, he was dialed in. It was as good of a Kirk Cousins performance as we have seen all season long and really felt comfortable back there with Hawkinson, with Addison out there. And sort of that one-two punch was really tough to deal with for the Niners. And the Packers are going to have to come with it. The Hawkinson angle, it'd be really great to get Devondre Campbell back. Like, I, I don't know why he's not on IR, right? Like, if Devondre Campbell is this hurt, why hasn't he been put on IR? That maybe he is coming back next week. That would be a huge boost because I do worry about Hawkinson in the middle, especially now without Darnell Savage, who looks like he is headed to IR. Hawkinson could have a massive game against the Packers. I, I'm not as worried about Addison. I think. Honestly, if Jair can play, it's a perfect matchup for Jair. Um, and he'll be able to sort of match up well with Addison. And I think that's, you know, that's a great, that'll be a great matchup for them. And then they'll have to rely on Osborne as well as uh, Brandon Powell, sort of the water bug receiver to, you know, make things happen. Because, yeah, I don't necessarily think that Jordan Addison is, is a guy that I, I'm not, I'm, I'm worried about. He could light us up, right? But I think the Packers have the the talent to compete with him. I worry way more about TJ Hawkinson. Cam Akers looks like he might be taking over that running back one spot uh, sooner rather than later. I think he outcarried Alexander Madison, which is very interesting, right? Like I I think that's definitely something worth noting, worth keeping an eye on uh, as we as we continue on and and the. 
Vikings running attack has not really been much this season. It's it's struggled mightily in certain spots. So the question really is, is like, are the Vikings, you know, going to necessarily, you know, have that, that running attack? They only ran the ball 21 times. I know the Niners are very good run defense-wise. Akers did out-carry Madison 10 to 8, but he only rushed for 3.1 on an average. So it'll be interesting to see what they do against a very weak Packers run defense. This would be the week where you could see the Vikings run running game get going. But this is also an opportunity for the Packers run defense to kind of stand up. Like this is a worse running attack than what we saw out of Denver and what we saw even out of, well, Vegas didn't really run the ball and Packers, you know, still had an opportunity to win. They just, again, you know, played with their food a little bit and, you know, started slow and that was the whole concept of it. But against the same, so where the Packers have succeeded is when there's no running attack available and the Saints didn't have it, the Raiders didn't have it, the Vikings really don't have it. So that should be an area of opportunity for Green Bay. We'll see if they actually take advantage of it. Uh, the last thought here is uh, the Vikings defense you know, seems like they're finding their footing under Brian Flores. Uh, they were really bad to start the year. They were just blitzing all the time. They, they've kind of seemed like they're putting it together. Like you're starting to see this, you know, kind of get set in. It takes a while sometimes for teams to, you know, find their footing defensively. Um, but I don't think this is a bad defense as some made it out to be. Like look at the last three weeks, four weeks really, for the Vikings, right? They allowed the Panthers to have 13 points. I know Panthers aren't very good. They also had a defensive touchdown in that game. Then you had the Chiefs. They allowed 27 points in that, but it's the Chiefs. The Bears, you allowed 13. You also got a defensive touchdown in that game. You allowed 17 points to the San Francisco 49ers. Like, they're doing more in terms of their defense, and that's a little worrisome. And I again, I... I think it is going to be important for Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur to study what they did against Detroit and how do they adapt from that because I think you're going to see a similar blitz heavy man coverage like how do you how do you do how do you break that how do you how are you able to avoid that is it you know a screen early on to kind of keep this blitzing at bay Flores is going to keep sending the house and the Packers definitely need to to sort of, you know, find a way around it. And we'll see if they're able to. Uh, but it's a massive game with our neighbors from the West and the Packer-Viking rivalry getting started on a noon noon slate. I love that it's at Green Bay. Uh, we don't have to hear that goddamn horn. Packers do also have a rest advantage. I think that that can't be understated. They get, you know, the, the Vikings on a short week after playing the San Francisco 49ers. And even though they beat the Niners, facing the Niners is, is how. Uh, the ATS uh, against the spread that is against you know teams after playing the 49ers is not very good. Um, so that should bold in Packers' favor. We'll see if they actually take advantage of it on Sunday. All right, to wrap up the program today, I, I wanted to mention Marquette quickly. Marquette is the preseason favorite officially uh, by the coaches to win the Big East. Tyler Kolick is preseason Big East player of the year. Uh, he was it last year. So the expectations on Marquette are sky high. This is this is like as big of a sort of role that you've seen for Marquette, right? Like this is not a, it's not your brother's Marquette. This isn't even your older brother's Marquette. Like this is Marquette at the top of the mountain. 
And they have to learn how to play with the target on the back. And I think this is good that it's kind of starting right away. I talked about it last week that I felt like Marquette, you know, I'm not going to run from the expectations. I don't think they are either. I think Shaka Smart, you know, has worked with these guys and they understand what's in front of them. I think they know that they're going to get everybody's best game. I think that they know as the Big East favorite, preseason Big East favorite, that teams are going to want to beat Marquette and that old Marquette's coming to town. Like that is a that will be a big deal. And so I definitely think there is a lot there for the Golden Eagles to sort of use as not necessarily motivation, but understand kind of their place and know, you know, really what they're going to be up against for, from the start of the season, really. And I almost wonder if it's a good thing. Like, I think, you know, Marquette for the longest time last year was the hunty, right? They were predicted ninth. Tyler Kolick had the classic fuck them. And they were, you know, the whole year, this nobody believes in us chip on your shoulder team. And even in the Big East tournament, it's like, well, Marquette has struggled in the Big East tournament. They've never won the Big East tournament. They've never even got to the final. Marquette goes all the way, beats UConn, the last team to beat UConn, mind you, uh, which UConn fans still can't get over. UConn has had a weird sort of relationship with Marquette. Like the online UConn-Marquette rivalry is real. I don't know about in terms of the teams themselves, but like UConn fans can't stop thinking about Marquette. It's very fucking weird. Um, I, I don't think that if I won a national championship, I would be, you know, kind of using my platform to do that. But I guess that's how they're they're going to approach it. Like they can't stand that somebody it might be better than them. And just because they won the national championship means that we all need to suck their dick. Like, no, that's not that's not how it fucking works. That's not how it works at all. So I, I think that there is a sort of you know, with UConn and with the sort of like idea of, you know, that is like, yeah, Marquette, Marquette is at the top and they're going to be hunted all year. But I, I think what I was trying to say, and I got distracted by sort of the UConn hate is they got to that top last year and then they're two seed in the, in the NCAA tournament. And that was almost a detriment to them. Like, I, I do wonder if they didn't, let's just hypothetically say they did beat UConn in that semifinal game, which I, I would hate to think because that was one of the best like sporting events of the year so far. Like if you're like 2023 moments, like beating UConn in Madison Square Garden is, I think it might be the top spot. If really, like if you're really thinking about it, like that was an incredible moment uh, for Marquette basketball. Uh, on that Friday night. But so I, I think like if I had to really think about it and like if they didn't win that game, what they're probably a three or a four. And I, I almost wonder, would that have been better for this team? Would they have, you know, excelled more? I don't know if they would have gone farther than the Sweet 16, right? But I, I think they ran into a Michigan State team that, you know, had, you know, guys that were, you know, ready to ascend for next year. And Michigan State, you know, made it, you know, they, they didn't make it out of the Sweet 16, but it was an absolute war with Kansas State. And it was, you know, went down to the wire and everything else. Like, so it, it wasn't like Marquette, I think, pissed away an opportunity because Florida Atlantic was very good too. And, you know, that Florida Atlantic run is fucking crazy even today. Uh, but it, so it, it definitely is not one that I have regret, but I, I just wonder, you know, 
did Marquette not know how to be the hunt be the hunted? And will they now, you know, kind of have that from the start? And it, the fact that that is sort of the attitude and the mentality, then it's great, right? And I still think you can have a chip on your shoulder, right? You could still say, oh, Marquette's overrated, Marquette's this, what, you know, they did nothing in the tournament. You know, they have that fuel, they have that fire. There were still teams that beat them last year. They're still, you know, unfinished business, right? But I think Marquette knows that like they have that opportunity and they know that they're not going to be the favorite against Kansas if they beat Kansas in the Maui. Um, they know that you know they're going to have ample opportunities in the you know pre-Big East season or in the non-conference, sorry, to uh, you're getting used to you know talking basketball again. Uh, and I, I think that the opportunities will be there for the Golden Eagles to sort of understand that target and learn how to play with that target. And I, I don't think it's going to be something that they they struggle with. I, I just don't, I don't see it. Like I, I don't see them struggling with it because they are a veteran laden team. I think if they were a bunch of five stars, like it was like a Kentucky team that had that target, I think it would be a lot different. Like they had, let's just say they had a bunch of like five star freshmen and Tyler Kolek. I think that would be a struggle. I don't think there's going to be a struggle for this team. I think this team is ready for it. I think they're built for it. And maybe that's my overconfidence in, in the program. But I just think that they are at the peak of what we've seen from Marquette basketball in a very long time. So hopefully that's the case. Um, and it gets started in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. Uh, it's you, you could argue that this might be the best stretch of basketball from a Bucks marquette perspective in a winter in a very, very long time. All right. That was it for today. We'll be back on Thursday with the betting show, um, Solo, and then Mitch and I after Bucks Sixers. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Packers-Vikings. We'll get ready for Wisconsin-Ohio State. The whole thing will be a great show. I uh, cannot wait for that. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a good Tuesday, and we'll be back on Thursday. See you. Bye.